Ladies and gentlemen, heads are gonna roll in our latest phantasmagorical Friderific free-for-all. In this corner, learn how to spell terror with amazing stories. And the challenger proving that two heads are better than none, Goosebumps. Head right this way for Put Up Your Spoon. This week's theme... Heads a-poppin'. Heads a-poppin' in two devilish episodes. So, once again, we're heading back to Amazing Stories. I see what you did there. With 1986, Go to the Head of the Class. We start with an achingly slow close-up of a scene from the Vincent Price movie House on Haunted Hill. And we watch the entire scene. We watch the entire scene, although it's kind of interesting to note that uh, as the camera pulled back from the television playing this movie, um, the end title card came up, even though that is not the end of House on Haunted Hill. But I think they did that because it's a little bit of foreshadowing. So the room is slowly revealed as the camera pulls back and we see a disheveled teenage cave plastered with horror posters and a creepy amount of school pictures of a particular girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like circled and covered in hearts and stuff like that. The credits are rolling over the slow pan of this room while a newscaster is like giving us the rundown of the local, the day's news. The credit for Christopher Lloyd comes up and I was like, this was directed by Robert Zemeckis. I just know it because it's exactly the opening of Back to the Future. And then sure enough, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis. And again, it's not a huge leap to make because those guys were all thick as thieves at this period in time. Yeah. But it's it's like note for note, with the exception of The House on Haunted Hill, the exact opening of Back to the Future. Although the original opening of Back to the Future had Marty pirating some like porn or something that he was going to sell. Like in the original script, Doc and Marty run a piracy ring where they like sell pirated VHS tapes to the students in this high school. So we pan over to the the Skelephone which is this like horrific skull telephone. I quite enjoyed the scalephone. And not only is it impressive in and of itself being a skull like fashioned as a telephone, but um, in a later sequence, we see that there is a fork sticking out of the top of the <laughs> skull that's dripping blood. Uh-huh. I mean, that is like next level. So the skelebone goes off, uh, like the eyes light up red, and in addition to ringing, it's, it has a creepy laugh. <laughs> so the skelebone rings and wakes up young Peter, and his mom is yelling at him and telling him that he's late for school again. So he grabs his stuff and dives out the window because he keeps his door locked. Um, so at this point, he seems like, um, a slovenly horror fanatic who lives in like a teenage cave, keeps his door locked, only communicates with his mother through a skeleton and and chronically, uh, oversleeps. But then by the time he gets to school, we see that he's like a total square. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's weird and it makes no sense and it's sort of a bad setup all around so he gets to school the door is locked 
and we see his teacher, Mr. B.O. Beans, uh, <laughs> played by Christopher Lloyd. And he's like this wild-eyed, crazy-haired, stentorian... He's Christopher Lloyd. Just Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. to say that. Shakespeare's speaker. Uh, yeah, he's Christopher Lloyd in a bad mood, essentially. And um, he's lecturing the class about Shakespeare and uh, about how... Uh, all good stories are about murder and Shakespeare filled his plays with murder. And when he wrote Macbeth, um, the motivation behind Macbeth's crimes and, and all the, the drama that surrounded it was S E X sex. And he says, sex will get you to do terrible things you would not normally do. My little lambs. Sex. S-E-X. Lo and behold, who's that sitting in the classroom? It's the girl in all of Peter's pictures. It's Cynthia Simpson, played by a young Mary Stuart Masterson. And she's giving signals to... uh, Peter, for when it's going to be, the coast is clear, it's going to be safe to come in. But before that happens, Mr. Beans catches a student chewing gum. And the student is terrified, so he swallows the gum and destroys the evidence. But not to be thwarted, Mr. Beans looks under the desk, finds an old piece of chewing gum, and then forces the student to eat it, lest he face the misters and detention. And with that threat looming over his head, he puts the old chewing gum in his mouth and swallows it. While all these shenanigans are going on, Peter sneaks in, and it seems like the coast is clear and the day is saved. Unfortunately, now it's time to start turning in uh, homework and handing out, handing back assignments. So... When it's uh, time for papers to be passed out, Mr. Bean says that two of the papers were identical with just different names. And we've already seen Peter slip a copy of his homework to Cynthia. And now we find out that she also copied his report uh, and just added her name to the top. So Mr. Bean says that one of them will be punished for that most terrible of crimes, plagiarism. And wouldn't you know it, Peter has got the hots for Cynthia so bad that he fesses up. Even though he wrote the paper, he agrees that he cheated and copied her paper. And so it is time for him to meet the misters. So he's called up by Mr. Beans to the front of the class, and he is made to hold out his arms, palms up, and then Mr. Beans empties the library of heavy books and puts them in his open palms and outstretched arms and then makes him kneel in the front of the class with his arms outstretched holding Mr. Funk, Mr. Wagnall, Mr. Webster, Mr. Random, Mr. House. It's clear that this is corporal punishment. Mr. Beans loves it and that Cynthia is not doing young Peter any favors. I thought he was going to start beating him, actually. Well, there is a paddle against the wall, if you look. <laughs> it's like a huge paddle. A couple of things. 
as we close out the, the, the first scene, Christopher Lloyd, tour de force. And the writing, Mick Garris really wrote the hell out of that scene, too, because Christopher Lloyd has, like, a 20-minute monologue, and it's just solid gold from start, to, from start to finish. Although, perhaps a lot of that is just that Lloyd magic. S-E-X. Yeah, I mean, letting him play a cantankerous, sex-obsessed Shakespeare teacher, I mean... Beautiful. Yeah, Mwah. it is... It's it's very well written and, and performed. It's very um, it's very wordy. I mean, it's very verbose uh, and articulate, which is kind of funny because this episode ends up with a lot of physical comedy mm-hmm. and like a lot of um, sight gags. It, it's very visual based. And it's it's very um, it's all about physicality. So it's kind of funny that they chose a character that was so uh, verbose and educated and, and well read. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's weird that it's all about Shakespeare because it goes to like wacky, yeah, but slapstick, you know, the, Sam Raimi land. Their storyline. The rest of the episode is so Shakespeare heavy in its influence and iconography. They've got cauldrons. They've got spells. We'll, we'll get there. But the other thing about the scene is that, so we've we've said that uh, Mr. Brand, I forget his first name, but it's very important. Peter. It's very important <laughs> that we know his name is Peter Brand. Yeah. Uh, he's a square, but he, he's written the best paper in class with a C plus. So he's not that much of a square. I get the impression that uh, and you know Mr. Mr. Beans, Beans is a tough is grader. A that's for sure. Harsh grader. Except he gave um, that one girl an F plus, so that was good. <laughs> F plus. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had some similarly difficult teachers oh, yeah. who just were perfectionists, and it was very rare for anyone to get like a perfect grade in their class. I mean, at least at least Peter Brand uh, is not only doing his homework. And giving his homework to Cynthia, he's also like writing papers and handing in assignments and getting the best grades in the class. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. With a tough grade here. Yeah. 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 Mr. Bean's definitely. Oh my God. I didn't realize this until just now, but Mr. Bean's reminds me a ton of this middle school math teacher I had, and his name was Mr. Bean. Whoa! And really? He ca- yeah, I, I I didn't realize. I was like, oh, he reminds me of that teacher while I was watching the episode, but I forgot the guy's name was Mr. Bean. But um, he would carry a stick, and he would point his stick at you and make you stand up, and he would go like, "What's eight times eleven divided by fourteen times thirty-seven minus twelve plus four? You know, and you'd have to like do it in your head. And so he would point his stick at me, and I was fucking terrible at math and also just a nervous person. So I would immediately freeze up. He'd be like, what's 8 times 47? And I'd be like, uh... For like 12 minutes until he finally just let me sit down again. And then we had this real genius, a friend of mine, who was very just naturally smart. Uh, You know, his parents are both super smart. His brothers are both super smart. And so he would make him stand up, and he'd be like, what's 8 times 47? Minus 12 divided by 11 times 32. And my friend would just have all the answers like rapid fire and then the teacher mr bean would look so pleased with himself and it made me furious because 
he was taking the credit, you know? Like he thought he was responsible for this kid's uh natural aptitude. Exactly. And I really wanted to call him out for it and say like, "Yeah, don't look so pleased with yourself. It's not you are doing that my friend is so smart." But little did you know that Mr. Bean had taught both his parents and his brother. <laughs> Possibly. But yeah, I mean, I've I've had some nightmarish teachers in my day and I did not find it all that far-fetched, especially seeing as how, surprise, surprise, this episode takes place in, like, the 50s. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. They did a really bad job of establishing the time period. Until you see cars. That was, like, Until it. you see a hundred cars in a bus and everything is straight yeah. out of the 50s. So, I was, so that when we started to see that, I was like, oh, what? This is a period piece? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense, but yeah, here we go. We'll, we'll we'll follow up on that. But maybe Zemeckis was uh, skeletoning it in on this episode. Maybe he just had a bunch of cars left over from used cars. And... Oh no, this was clearly on like the Universal backlot. Yeah. After uh, Peter Brand has met the Misters, he's walking home with Cynthia, and up until now, all we've seen is that he's got like a thousand photos of her in his room. And that he's, a, I mean, to use the modern parlance, he's a simp. He's he's giving her homework and he's writing her papers. Use the 50s parlance. <laughs> uh, he's P-whipped. Um, <laughs> is, that a, is that a 50s phrase? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, we get the, and the way that, uh, you know, she forces him to take the blame uh, for plagiarism and doesn't really like give him any support when he's be getting corporal punishment in front of the classroom. We kind of see that, you know, there's not much of a relationship there, but they are walking home together. And um, she says, you know, we got to do something to get rid of this Mr. Beans. He's like, yeah, I mean, I wish that, that would be great. Um, and she's like, well, hey, did you listen to the new Blood Sausage album I gave you? Um, if you play it backwards, there's lots of great spells and curses on there. And now this is like straight out of the 80s. 80s, yeah. This is what made Satanic me Panic. You know, think it was 80s. Satanic Panic, uh, backwards. And she's uh, got kind of a Madonna thing going on. She's got a leather jacket over her sort of schoolgirl clothes um she's wearing a lot of earrings you're right it is like 80s madonna sort of bad girl i mean weird through the filter of the 50s maybe she's like a greaser Uh sort of but we find out that she's kind of into satanism so like i don't know it's it's 80s and it's weird also blood sausage i don't think a band would come out in the 50s and 60s called blood sausage Probably not. I mean, there may have been a few 50s, 60s the underground. garage punk underground bands, but um, it, it does seem a little more typical of the 80s. So she hatches a plan. Um, if you listen to the record backwards, it'll give you the components and the directions for a curse. And she wants to... Um, give mr bean hiccups so badly that he can't you know lecture them and he can't teach so uh so peter brand goes back home he's in the the skeledome 
he's listening to Blood Sausage backwards, and it's like, uh, dirt from a fresh grave, rose water, uh, the bone of a family member, you know, like some mundane stuff and then like some downright uh, grave desecrating stuff. I thought it was a nice little touch that he, instead of, like, whenever you see someone playing a record backwards in a movie, they're, they, like, spin it with their finger. But in this mm-hmm. one, he was he actually hooked it up to an egg beater to play it backwards. Yeah. Shows um, you they were so, thinking. Anyway, continue. So he's listening to this uh, this creepy, creepy backwards mass music. He's writing down the components for this spell that involves grave robbing and stuff like that. And... As he kind of walks by his bedroom window, a hideous monster arm thrusts out and grabs him. So he falls back, smashes his skull against the edge of his bed, and uh, surprise, it's just Cynthia wearing her ghoulish monster arm. And she's like, oh, did I scare you? And he's kind of dazed and concussed. And she's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I did this spell on my mom. Um, she had the hiccups for three days and she had to go to the hospital. It was awesome. And we're going to do the same to Mr. Beans. So it's like, this is not a good person. And you know, if you don't have that clear by now, she's, uh, she's a user and she's Shakespearean lady. Yeah. She's, she's lady Macbeth. Um, I thought it was kind of ridiculous that, uh, Peter had invited her to his room and hadn't taken down the creepy <laughs> pictures or like taken the the various rags and crusty socks. Yeah, she sees you know? she <laughs> gross. <laughs> she sees all the pictures and she's like, "Aw." I mean, not like, Ugh. I I I think she knows very well. Yeah, you know, since she's That's uh, true. she's coercing him into grave robbing. <laughs> And necromancy. So so they grab their stuff, they head to the graveyard, and it's like spook overload, fog juice explosion. Full-on Universal Monsters graveyard. Universal Monsters, creepy, uh, scary. And they find an open grave, and she's like, okay, uh, get some dirt. And he's like, okay. And she's like, no, no, no. Climb into this open grave. He's like, but there's a huge pile of grave dirt next to it. And she's like, no, it's got to be from the bottom of the grave. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) So he climbs down into this deep grave and uh, she turns off the flashlights and disappears. So he's in this grave. He's alone. He's spooked. And then she comes like sailing out of the night Lost Boys style. Just like full on, like she flings herself like seven body lengths. We need to have a little bell from now on whenever any one of us mentions Lost Boys. Okay, ding, ding. And uh, she lands on him. Uh, She's like, I heard something. Be quiet. And they hear this like wheezing, lurching shuffle. And a figure comes in and prowls around the grave and then leaves and they're like, whew, all right, that was really scary. Do you have the grave dirt? And then just as they're about to leave, a gross arm reaches down, grabs a rope, and pulls up a six-pack of beer. And I was like, why would someone, like, sometimes in a beer commercial, you'll see, like, someone tie a string to, to a six-pack and, like, put it in a mountain stream because they're fishing and grilling and, 
you know, that's how good this beer is. It's like chilled with mountain waters. I don't know what lowering it into an open grave does for it, unless there's a track on that Blood Sausage album. Yeah, could be a like spell. A six pack in a grave. <laughs> but honestly, what what's colder than the bottom of a fresh grave? <laughs> Sends a chill down your spine and down your beer. I mean, maybe if someone walks over your grave holding a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a suspenseful slow sequence that added nothing. Yeah, to it was the a, story. It, it was character building for a character that we never saw again because we knew how much that random character had a problem with alcohol. Yeah, that gravedigger, um, you know, was rewarding himself for a job half done by uh, dangling a six-pack. They get the rest of the stuff they need, and they bust into the Beans family crypt. And uh, it's almost midnight, so they've wasted so much time with all these uh, grave shenanigans that the clock is ticking. They need to get in, and they need the bone of a family relation. You could say their situation is dire instead of grave. So uh, they're preparing the spell ingredients, and one of the ingredients is a graven image. And so for that, they just take the staff photo from their yearbook of Mr. Beans. And all they need now is that finger bone from a family relation. So they break into a coffin and Peter is struggling to sever a finger bone. And the clock is ticking. It's almost midnight. The candle flames are roaring. Clearly, the, the veil is thin. The magic spell is about to be worked. And he struggles so mightily that he rips off the entire hand and tosses it into the cauldron. Hmm. There is an enormous blast of eldritch green smoke and light and fire. And the spell is done. The, the craft has been worked. So, you know, they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling pretty successful. And a newly emboldened Peter Brand is like, all right, well, let's go to Mr. Bean's house. And uh, even that's a bit too much for Cynthia. She's like, eh, it's late. You know, why don't we just wait and see how he is in class tomorrow? And he's like, I didn't go through all that not to see if it worked. So they break into his property and he lives in this giant, creepy Victorian mansion. Must be old money. As befitting someone who has their own crypt in the town cemetery. And they sneak up and look in a window. They shine their flashlight in. And they see the still body of Mr. Beans. Uh, maybe he hiccuped himself to death? Or like had one massive hiccup that killed him? Or maybe because they put an entire hand in, the spell was just too powerful. But but they, they spend an inordinate amount of time w looking for... Because they are hearing hiccups. So they're looking around for the source of the hiccups. And they finally see a frog... And so all these scenarios were running through my mind, like, oh, did it make a frog, like a literal frog in his throat? <laughs> or did they, did he turn into a frog? Did they give the frog hiccups by accident? I think you hit upon a key phrase there, which is inordinate amount of time. Mm -hmm. Everything in this episode took an inordinate <laughs> amount of time. That is true, yeah. So they realized the, the spell worked a little too well. And Mr. Beans is dead. So they're freaking out. They bust in. They check his pulse. And uh, they realize that, you know, they're going to get the death penalty. And their fingerprints all over the place. They busted into his uh, house. You know, 
it's it's not looking good for him. And so Cynthia has a really good idea, which is maybe there's another spell on the Blood Sausage album that resurrects the dead. And he's like, well, what if it doesn't work? And she says, well, if the second spell doesn't work to bring him back to life, that means the first spell didn't work that killed him. <laughs> It was just he a just green fire dead. spell. Yeah, maybe you just get all that grave dirt and those bones together and it just produces green smoke. So, you know, with that sort of uh, nice tidy bit of logic, they find another track on the Blood Sausage album that does indeed raise the dead, which is kind of interesting. You know, I wonder if the Hiccups curse is like just a, a skit or an interlude <laughs> in one of the main tracks is How to Raise the Dead. And also, I mean... How how much does that album cost? <laughs> because if if you have the secret to of resurrection, and you're just recording it backwards onto an album of yeah, you, rock you might want to keep that under wraps. Yeah, or like share it, or like uh, market it. Like <laughs> you'd be very rich if you could raise the dead, not just throw that in as an Easter egg for your fans. <laughs> Anywho, they do it the old-fashioned way. They don't have an egg beater. They play <laughs> the record backwards, which they have with them, by Damn the way. It. Yeah. And they gather the ingredients and do all the things to uh, resurrect Mr. Beans. But when they go for the graven image, this time when they rip out the photo, they accidentally rip it in half. So they put in the two halves of the photo of Mr. Bean and... There's thunder and lightning, and then nothing. And I'm like, uh-oh, did it work? We're not sure. Well, maybe we should sneak out of here. Then, boo! Mr. Beans wakes up, and then his body sits up, and his head remains on the pillow, severed by this crazy voodoo. I, I gotta hand it to Mr. Beans. He did not miss a beat. He wasn't like, oh, I fell down dead. How did I get here? What are you doing in my house? He's like, I'm going to get you. Nothing will save you from my wrath, Mr. Brand. So now it's madcap time. They're trying to escape his creepy Victorian mansion. And Mr. Beans is now rampaging juggernaut style through his own house with his head tucked under his arm. And he's like busting through doors. He says, use your railings. head. And then the body uses the head to smash the door. There's a lot of pun punnery going on for a There's a lot of punnery. There's a lot of good gags. Um, he's like using his head as a flail and as a mace and a bowling ball, a bowling ball. Um, his body like jumps from like the second story to the first story. He gives chase and the whole time whew, Christopher Lloyd is, has now cranked it up to 11. He is, he is mugging and screaming, uh, waggling his tongue. Oh, so much tongue waggling. Going to get you, Mr. Brand. I'm going to get you, Mr. Brand. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> like, uh, no joke. I mean, words don't do it justice. It is pretty fantastic. Listen for yourself. I see you haven't done your homework, Mr. Brown. I want to see you in detention, Mr. Brown. I mean, really, the rest of the episode is a long, extended chase sequence. Uh, Cynthia hops 
onto the back of a bus, like Spider, like literally like Spider-Man. She's like, so long, we'll have to do this again sometime. <laughs> and so she clings to the side of a bus and uh, Peter Brand has to book it past uh, all the 50s cars on the Universal backlot. So Mr. Beans chases him all the way back to his house. Peter busts into his bedroom. The headless body of Mr. Beans chucks Mr. Bean's head in, lands on the bed. Peter collapses unconscious in the same position that he was earlier that night when he first hit his head. And a shadow creeps over him, but shortly after, so does sunlight. The sun rises, there's no headless body, there's no monster. It's just another day uh, where he's awoken by the ringing and the laughter of the skeleton. And his mother telling him that he's late for school again. And, uh, you know, it's plausible that this was like a Jacob's Ladder scenario or it was all just a dream. And, you know, maybe he just hit his head when he got scared by Cynthia the night before. Peter rushes off to school like usual. He sneaks in to the classroom and he doesn't see any sign of Mr. Bean's. But what he does see is Cynthia, no leather jacket, no big earrings, dressed as a plain, humble schoolgirl, kneeling in the front of the class. She has met the misters. Her arms are outstretched, and she's suffering silently as she holds the heavy books out. And the entire classroom has their heads bent down over their papers, and they're all writing in unison. Like perfect rhythmic mm. unison. You just hear the scribbling of pencils um, as they write like mechanically and rhythmically. And it was for me the creepiest shot in the entire episode. And it really looked like it could have come from like a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It was like a dream was cool. version of walking into class. So he sits down and who should appear but a fully intact, not headless, Mr. Beans. And he says he's caught him late one final time, and now he can bring him to detention. And Peter Brand's like, okay, fine, whatever. He, he says, as long as you're okay, Mr. Beans. What a, what a nice kid. And then Mr. Beans says, Well, actually, I have a bit of a sore throat. <laughs> could have used a crypt keeper giving us the play-by-play -play. put a pin in that because <laughs> i have a very specific comment about the crypt keeper play-by-play -play that will be relevant to your episode oh my well speaking of my episode goosebumps the headless ghost it opens on a creepy lighthouse or was it just a house with a high window with a light in it? That was a lighthouse. Jump to Hill House, I guess. And there's a young, old-timey boy, like an 1800s boy, and he's looking for a ghost. And he's just like, hello? I know you're in here. And then his shrew mom comes in and is like, why aren't you in bed? Oh, and why don't you take the padlock off your door? And why don't you answer your <laughs> skeleton? And she says, there's no ghost in this house. And he's like, okay, mama, I'll go to bed. And then she leaves. And then... As soon as she leaves, basically, a fucking ghost comes out of the closet and is like, Now that you've seen me, it's curtains. And it rips off his head, basically. Although I think it happens off camera. And then it cuts to present day, i.e. 
the 1990s. Otto is like this old crusty seaman, and he's giving a tour, a ghost tour. Uh, uh, sea captain. He's giving a ghost tour of, of present-day Hill House, and there's a bunch of people, and they're all having a good time. He's telling the story of the little boy, Andrew, getting his head ripped off. So as they're going through the tour, suddenly, uh, like a monster arm juts out from beneath a table and grabs this tiny little girl, and she screams in terror, and her parents scream in terror. Oh, and then Mr. Otto, or then Otto, goes over and, like, yanks a girl out from under the table, Stephanie, bodily, and is like, you little woman, I told you to take this seriously. The ghosts of this house don't like pranks. And so Stephanie and Dwayne are these two like punk kids who are- AKA the Twin Terrors. The Twin Terrors. I imagine it's a paid tour because that's how they're, you know, keeping the house afloat. So I guess they're paying their admission every time. So at least there's that. But anyway, he kicks them out of the house and says like, don't you come back here until you're ready to show some respect. And they're like, let's go back tomorrow. And then they walk away as some random creepy kid watches from the bushes. So they do go back the next night. And Otto's like, oh, I'm glad to see you've learned your lesson. You're, uh, you're behaving quite nicely. And then Stephanie's like, let's go. This is our chance. And they sneak away from the tour. At this point, we, we see that Stephanie is kind of the bad influence. She's the bad sister. She's the Lady Macbeth. She's the Lady Macbeth. She's she's driving all this rebellious behavior. Her brother Dwayne seems to be a little more uh, scared. He's a bit of more timid. Ghosts. I think he probably was having fun at first, but as he's getting older, he's he's realizing he he doesn't really want to do this anymore. I mean, Stephanie seems like she needs to keep pushing the envelope, even though Stephanie doesn't believe in ghosts. She does believe that a child was decapitated and she does want to find that child's skull she wants to find the head so i don't know if yeah. she's looking for a skull or a ghost head she likes she seems to not believe in ghosts and also believe in ghosts no i think she believes this the the history that a child lost its head and she wants to find that head but she is very firmly in i don't believe in ghosts right. why are you so scared or possibly she just gets off on the hunt and being in forbidden areas. She's also pranking Dwayne constantly and constantly. Like at one point she looks like she's about to have diarrhea and she's like Oh no. Oh no. What? The the head. Where? Nowhere, you sucker. Are you gonna fall for every dumb trick tonight? And then five seconds later she's like the head and he's like, Really this time? And she's like, You stupid asshole. So as they're doing this, the same random bush kid is watching them again from behind a door. So they put up their spooks sufficiently enough to where Otto catches them and kicks them out a second time. And he's like, this time you're gone for good. Never come back, you little rapscallions. And Stephanie is so pissed off that she throws a snowball at the door. And Dwayne's like, oh my God, how could you possibly do such a heinous thing? And she's like, whatever. And this door knocker, like its eyes glow. So you know some shit's about to go down. So then the random bush slash door kid finally introduces himself to them. And he's like, I'm Seth. I'll take you to a secret part of the house that you've never seen before. I'll show you some ghosts, all right? So he takes them up into one of the forbidden rooms after hours. Like the tour is gone. Mr. Otto has gone home. I don't know why I keep calling him Mr. Otto, but whatever. Uh, and Seth tells him the story of... Uh, the dumb waiter and a kid, a boy who used to live in the house and he loved ice cream. He couldn't get enough ice cream. And 
one day the dumbwaiter didn't come all the way up, so he reached in and fell down, and when the maid found him at the bottom of the dumbwaiter... It was hard to tell the difference between the boy's face and the strawberry ice cream. I guess it got all mashed up. Serves him right. I thought that frankly. was a, a fun little tale yeah, within a tale. Pretty gruesome, pretty gruesome. So then they go up to the upper, upper chamber, which was the captain's, and uh, Dwayne is like, whoa, hey, what's this palette full of paints? And he's like, oh, Seth is like, the captain likes to paint his victims. Then Seth goes and locks the door, and they're like, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, I lied to you. My name's not Seth. My name's Andrew. I'm the Headless Ghost. I need your head, Dwayne. Quick twist. Come right off. Snap. Just like a chicken leg. Just as he's about to lay his hands on Dwayne, the dumbwaiter starts moving. And uh, Dwayne runs over to it and pulls open the door. And what did they see in there but... Little boy Andrew's ghost head. And Andrew says, What were you expecting? A dish of ice cream? And I thought, well, yes. <laughs> that is what I expected, as a matter of fact. So then the headless ghost body appears and comes over, and then he just takes his head and, like, wanders away. Then they're like, but wait a minute. If that was the headless ghost, then who are you, Seth? And then Otto shows up, and he's like, I'll tell you who he is. He's a bad little boy who used to be my assistant. I told you I've had it up to here with your childish pranks. Now out, out with ye, out. You know, having just watched a semi- oh, A literal ghost. Translucent literal ghost child walk around carrying its own severed head, um, Dwayne goes, whoa. And then Otto <laughs> busts in and he's like, oh, how, how, how did you get in? The door was locked. And he's like, there are many doors in, but only a few doors out. And he just shows him like a small door tucked into the corner. Anyway, he sends Dwayne out, but he keeps Stephanie behind. And Dwayne is like, again, going with what you're saying. He's like, okay, so long. And she's like, woof, what's he going to do? Scold me or whatever. And she closes the door behind Dwayne. And as soon as she turns around, she goes, huh! and Otto is a ghost. And he's actually the ghost who pulled off Andrew's head. And he's 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 painting her portrait with Whoa. magic paint. And then she looks to his left and Seth is a ghost. Whoa. But he's not the headless ghost. He's the ice cream ghost. And then Andrew appears and he says, yeah, Whoa. he's the ice cream ghost. But do you think he'd ever share it with me? No, but of course he wouldn't share it with you. It would just fall right out your neck. You fool! It is so weird how this episode goes back and forth, in and out of ghost stories, people pretending to be monsters and ghosts, who actually are ghosts, who pretend not to be ghosts. Stephanie is transfixed by all the ghosts, while the captain, Otto, pays, paints her magical portrait, which he softly brushes his paintbrush across the canvas, and the entire thing springs to vivid life. He says, just a little bit of, just a little bit more around the mouth. And, then, and so as he's painting her portrait, she's fading away and becoming a fourth ghost. So downstairs, Dwayne hears Stephanie's ghost screams and he runs back. He finds a bucket of water on the floor. He throws it on the painting, which melts. The ice cream ghost and the headless ghost vanish. Stephanie rematerializes 
They run out of the house whilst being chased. Piano lessons can be murder style by auto ghost. They make it out of the house and they're okay. And then cut to several years later, Hill House is all boarded up and, and crappy. And like some couple drives up and they're like, oh, this is just the fixer up we needed. Never mind the fact that everyone who's ever been around this place has died. Mr. Otto turns around and he's the realtor and he's like, oh, you'll get everything you hoped for or whatever. Not only is he not keeping people away from his house, now he's actively sucking people in to live in his house so that he can ghostify them, which makes even less sense. I am a little embarrassed to admit, but I went back and I listened to the cut from the establishing shot to when the truck pulled up in front of Hill House over and over again to see how many door clicks there were because you only see the couple getting out of the car and then Otto <laughs> walks up. And I was like, wait, is Otto the ghost? Did he just meet them there pretending to show the house? or be the realtor, but no, there were three door clicks. <laughs> so that Otto means the ghost got his realtor house, license, got a realtor's got license, a job in an office has an for office, Coldwell Banker, drove out, met some customers, <laughs> drove them back to sell them the house. That he hates it when people live in. I think he's deeply conflicted mm -hmm. by the fact that he got cucked by his wife and what he actually wants is company and community. And so he's angry, yes, but he really wants kids and he wants people and he wants to make sure no one can leave him ever again. I guess that that's what it is. That's the psychological truth. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I wrote in my notes, uh, does Otto have ghost bills? Like, why was yeah. he running nightly ghost tours? Yep. Why did he become a realtor? But... If you look at the wooden sign that used to be in front of it, it was called the Haunted Hill House, <laughs> where the dead make a living. So weird connections with my episode of Amazing Stories go to the head of the class. Um, a girl with a monster arm who puts up her spooks. And my episode started with the haunting of Hill House and... In Goosebumps, it was literally called The Haunted Hill House. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we, we couldn't have done better if we'd planned it. Hill House awaits. Body count for go to the head of the class, I wrote one minus one. <laughs> Body count for Goosebumps? It has to be zero. Scare factor for Amazing Stories? That's a good question because it was so comical and silly. I feel like they tried to go for some jump scares in the cemetery sequence yeah. where they were hiding in the open grave from the alcoholic gravedigger. It was kind of scary. Goosebumps, scare factor. I think it was pretty good when Seth was advancing on Dwayne, telling him he was going to rip his head off. That was a good scene, and that, that Seth... He did it. Killed it. He did a very good job. He his makeup he was really good. The lighting was really good. I, I would put that at about even gross factor for amazing stories. Um, Pretty for gross. Me, making that kid in the beginning eat the old gum stuck uh, yeah. under the yeah. table. Pretty gross. That was pretty gnarly. Oh, great. Now I have to keep that part in the episode. All it's a part of my plan. I was thinking about the ratings. Uh, yeah. And you have a severed head. Waggle-tongued Christopher Lloyd 
with his head cut off. Pretty gross. Gross factor for goosebumps. Oh, there was a close-up of a mouth eating strawberry ice cream, which I did find a little gross and upsetting. I, you know what? I, I was being coy. Uh, I wanted to mention it, then I thought I was being petty, but I, I it was gross. Yeah. And it is a factor. It's always gross. What the factor for amazing stories? It didn't leave me like scratching my yeah, head right. like, oh, what does any of this mean? Um, so I'd say what the factor low. Whereas. Whew. Goosebumps. Heavy what the factor. Heavy campfire tale heavy. told by a child. Ghost is heavy not a ghost is a factor. ghost, but is a different ghost. But it's a ghost story, but ghosts got to pay the bills. But ghosts so. hate people, but ghosts want to want people. But ghosts get realtors licenses ghosts have <laughs> hobbies and jobs hobbies and jobbies the, yeah what the factor extraordinarily high <laughs> i was so delighted place. at the for by the last like 15 minutes because i was like ooh, i got what the factor wrapped up tight you did you crushed it okay theme of headlessness there was two short sequences of headlessness in goosebumps Whereas there was a full hour-long episode there of Amazing was. Stories, and heads were being uh, thrown, they were being smashed through doors, they were being picked up and put down. There's lots of head puns. Yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll give it to you. Yeah, oh, thanks for giving what is <laughs> clearly uh, far and away heads above your episode of Goosebumps. Heads a-poppin'. Final rating, Vink Factor. Yeah, uh, Mr. Bean's pretty vinky. Mr. Bean's, I would say, above average vink factor. Otto, pretty vinky. He's a ghost who's not a ghost. He's running around. He's putting up his spooks. He's a he's a real estate agent. He's a tour guide. He's a painter. Oh. He's a crusty seaman. Multiple jobs. That is very vinky. Uh-huh. That's that's got to be factored in. He fucking loves luring children to their doom. I'd say medium. I'm looking at these ratings, and uh, other than what the factor. You got crushed. Amazing Stories is the winner. I would expect nothing less from the team of 80s Spielbergiana. Looks like Amazing Stories comes out ahead. (laughs) I want to see you in detention, Mr. Brown. Ryan, you went at the podcast. Um, You have never added any backward spells into these episodes have you no okay because i was looking at last episode and i found this strange little part of the audio file and wish Easter blood of a sausage makes together hands victory is yours. Ryan! Uh, rerun for your life? 